Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Roger That Podcast presented by Frenter. Today's guest journeyed from music to magic to machines. Having grown his family rental business into a thriving operation, he is now one of the rental industry's leading advocates and an endless resource for industry facts and knowledge. Please welcome the American Rental Association's VP of Equipment and Event Segments, Josh Nickel. Josh, thank you very much for being a guest on the Roger That Podcast. Would love to kick things off with a quick intro to what the ARA is, your role there, and maybe a bit of background on yourself. Yeah, happy to do it. Um, so the ARA, or also known as the American Rental Association, is the rental association for the equipment and event rental industry in North America. So uh, we cover thousands of companies in both spaces and some that do both. We've been doing it since the 50s. Uh, it's a over $60 billion industry now that has been growing rapidly. It's been outpacing the construction industry by 200% for the last 20 years, for example. Um, and it's part of the larger sharing and circular economy. So it's a, a pretty exciting and interesting place to be. Myself, uh, my grandfather was in rental. My dad was in rental. I swore I was not going to be in rental. Yet here I am. Turns out it's a pretty good place to be. I owned my own equipment rental company for a number of years. We were acquired by Sunbelt Rentals in 2018. I spent a little bit of time with them before moving overseas and working in rental software. Uh, moved back to the States in 2020, had been a volunteer for the association for most of my life. And then I had the opportunity to be staff and actually spend full time uh, working at the association. So that allows me to work with our equipment and event members in all kinds of different ways, everything from advocacy to workforce development to certifications, training standards, uh, analytics, all kinds of fun stuff. So get to touch a lot of different things. Awesome. And so specifically with your role, you mentioned kind of the ARA um, broadly across, you know, everything from, you know, like big event tent rentals, wedding rentals, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you're primarily focused or exclusively focused on the equipment side, correct? Yeah, about 70% of our membership is equipment or equipment rental companies or companies that are focused on that. So that's certainly a large part of what we do and what I do. I do now serve both uh, segments. Okay. Um, but that is definitely a large part of what we do. Okay. And is that 75% by, um, I guess members or like, I guess how, I guess how does the ARA break that down? Is that like per person, yeah, per dollar, et cetera? There's a ton of ways that we could break that down. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, most of the ways that you break that down, it's between 70 and 75% are equipment rental companies, whether you look at um, size of the businesses, number of member count. Member counts normally how we look at it. Okay. Um, the revenues of the equipment side is probably a little bit larger because that's the side where we have the multi-billion-dollar publicly traded companies. We actually have a lot of international members in uh, the equipment segment. We have some in the event segment as well, um, but it, it is a it is a little bit bigger side of the industry. Definitely. And with a lot of our guests, with you know kind of construction, equipment, rental, uh, kind of the trade space. I think a big one is kind of people's path to it. Some people, you know, yeah, I started um, kind of as like a laborer, eventually worked my way up or kind of transitioned into the industry. You mentioned, I guess, kind of, yeah, that you swear you wouldn't get it. You weren't going to end up in rental. Um, I guess, at what point did you kind of give up that, that fight? Was it mm. kind of, yeah. Early, early in your career, did you do anything prior to it? Or was it, at a, yeah, at a certain point, you're like, okay, you know what? I fought it long enough, but this is where I'm heading. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it, it's an interesting background because my dad was uh, three months from his doctorate in dentistry when he quit college. Um, he 
was really good at what he was doing. He was actually a year early, uh, but he really just didn't like what he was doing. And so he called his brand new father-in-law who owned the Taylor rental franchise and said, Hey, remember that time you joked around about me working at the rental company with you? I've taken a leave of absence. I'm no longer to be Dr. Nickel. And I'd like to come work with you. And luckily my grandfather said, yes, I'm sure he had hoped that his new son-in-law was going to be a dentist. Um, but uh, joined the rental company. And and because of what my dad went through, he never really pushed me to do anything. He said, chase what you're passionate about, chase what you're excited about, the things that that don't feel like work, um, and you'll be successful. Uh, so, you know, I, I'm not a super handy person. Um, you know, I, I am much more handy now after years in the equipment rental industry than I was before. But, you know, I'm still not somebody who's going to do a lot of, you know, mechanical repairs on my own. I'm going to hire somebody to do that. Um, I'm going to hire a great mechanic. Um, and when I first went to school, I was actually on a music scholarship. Uh, so I started out as a music major. Um, from that, I learned that just because you're good at it doesn't mean that you're going to enjoy it. Uh, so I was really enjoyed the competition of music and certain parts of it, uh, the formulaic nature of it and stuff. Uh, but I wasn't some like some of the people where they just kind of felt it. They were just super passionate about it. Um, so left that major, kind of got into business, and I thought I wanted to wear a suit and tie every day. Um, I joined a, uh, a college called Drexel University that's a co-op school. So you go to school half the year, and then you do paid internships half the year. And I call it like speed dating for work. Because most jobs, they expect you to be there for a while. In this case, you kind of got to try something for six months, go back to school, try something else for six months. And so my, my first job was management at a Neiman Marcus, um, where I got to wear a tie every day. And uh, I learned that that really wasn't quite the best fit for me. At the same time, um, I started performing as a magician um, on the okay. side um, and did very well. Um, some of my friends have been on TV shows like America's Got Talent, actually made their magazine, Genie Magazine, and almost went into magic as a full-time career um, after that. Really enjoyed it. I love the performance aspect, so I think you can probably see the relation back to uh, music there. I, but in that case, you got to interact with people, make them laugh, have fun, do things that surprise people. It was creative. It was interesting. Um but that really wasn't a fit either because I like working alongside people. I what like um, leading people and growing teams. And that's not something you really get as a magician. You know, you might have an apprentice or somebody you work with, but it's really a one person show. Um, and so through that kind of speed dating for work that I did in college, I had the opportunity to work just under the owner of a small business. And he said, you know, I could sell pizzas. I could sell insurance, which is what he did. I could run equipment. I just like working in a business. I'm a generalist. I like doing lots of different things. And that's what gets me excited. I just need a good product. And, you know, that made a, a ton of sense to me. Something kind of clicked when he said that. You know, that's when I realized I don't have to be a great mechanic. You know, I don't have to be a CDL truck driver. Uh, but I do like the complexity of the equipment mm -hmm. rental industry. I do like the growth opportunities and where it's going and what it's doing. So I just need to be able to hire great mechanics, great drivers, empower great teams. And so it wasn't long after that that I had called my dad and said, you know, you know, maybe we should give this a shot. I didn't want it out of nepotism. I didn't want to join just because my last name was also on the sign. Um, I wanted to earn it and do well at it, but found that I really love so many things about the equipment rental industry and the event rental industry. You know, it's 
complicated. It's young, you know, compared to a lot of other industries that are hundreds of years old, this idea is new. And we're really one of the first parts of the sharing economy. You know, we were one of the first people to say, hey, why do you own something as a contractor? Really, you should share that asset between job sites. You know, we're not renters like rent to own where we're kind of taking advantage of people or maybe even car rental where you're not really renting a car unless your car is broken down and you have to have one or you're on vacation. We're something that empowers a contractor to do what they're great at. You know, a great plumber is a plumber or electricians an electrician. They, they should go focus on that, not be a fleet manager, not be a, an equipment owner, have to worry about the logistics of all of that, the maintenance of all of that, the buying and selling cycles. And so we really get to empower people. So our impact is really quite huge. And so, you know, kind of steeping myself in all of that, I got to see the impact, got to see the excitement, really fit with my personality type um, and, and really fell in love with the industry. And it is one of those industries that once you stumble upon it and I had an easy way to stumble upon it, you usually get stuck um, because there is so much opportunity. One of the things I tell young people so often is it doesn't matter what you do in equipment rental, whether you want to be a programmer or a marketer or a salesperson or a mechanic. You know, a lot of industries, when you join the industry, you're waiting for the person above you to get promoted or retire. That's how you move up in a lot of industries because they're really not growing. You know, they're not growing that much faster than inflation. You know, but this industry is growing incredibly quickly. So there's new rungs being created on the ladder almost every day. And so if you want to be a marketer, you're going to get more opportunity than other people in marketing. If you want to be a mechanic, you're going to get more opportunity. Um, and so it's just, it's a really fun and interesting place to be and time to be in this industry. Yeah, I think from a career path, it might be tough to to be beat that one. The little um, the detour into to magic. Um, one of our one of our former guests, um, she kind of had a had a quote that was basically like, "Everything's on the test. You just don't know which one." Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's a good approach to a lot of careers. Frankly, is just like kind of follow your passion, do what you want to do, and like just because you went on a path, and some people are like, "Oh, well." I guess you're like uh, your father's perfect example is like you're three months from graduation, but like if that's not what you want to do, there's no sense kind of continuing that off. But that doesn't mean you just wipe from your mind everything that you learned or those skill sets or what you took. Like you can still apply that to future things. Um, and definitely agree on the rental side. Um, there's you know a reason why we're we're building in that space, but also it's such a broad and vast. Um, kind of industry from you know smaller players that are serving a very niche industry to kind of your your national players who are like listen if it exists we rent it um mm -hmm. and everywhere kind of in between and each of them have their own unique needs so there's a lot of yeah space to do new things and bring in new things and i think the industry as a whole is also very welcome to hearing you out like you need to drive value you need to bring value but mm -hmm. um they're like yeah we're we're kind of all figuring it out as we go, um, which I think is a good kind of segue into the next section with regards to, I guess, kind of trends. Um, and I definitely want to talk about trends right now, but you brought up a good point of joining the ARA in 2020, um, which is obviously an interesting year to do anything new. Um, yeah. We kind of have seen as a whole with a lot of folks that we talk to across, you know, rental, heavy civil, et cetera, I guess a bit of a transition away from COVID flipped everything on its head and a lot of it's kind of weathering the storm, but it seems like a lot of things are transitioning now to, okay, this is actually the new reality. This isn't a, a temporary 
blip and trends or in the market, like this is a new way we're doing business. We need to start addressing it with kind of new, new approaches, new trends, new ways of doing business. Have you found that to be the case? I guess, especially kind of a firsthand view in the rental industry, joining the ARA basically at the beginning of this to where we are now. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's interesting. Anytime that you have a black salon event or a shock to the industry in any industry, uh, like we had with COVID, it creates two types of changes. And, and I guess there's some overlap in between. Um, but really, you've got the type of change that we saw with a company like Amazon, where you know, everybody started ordering everything online. You know, and so for 2020 through 2023, you know, the Amazon effect was. Everything was done digitally. Nobody was going anywhere to buy anything. And that's a little bit of an over-exaggeration, but you saw that in their stock. You saw that in the revenues that went through Amazon. Um, everybody was staying at home. Um, but then there was a kind of a pent-up demand and things went the other way. People wanted to get back out. They wanted to start traveling. They wanted to spend on experiences rather than stuff. They wanted to go shop for things again. And so you saw the behavior kind of, I wouldn't say necessarily return to normal, but you saw a spring back from that. Um, the other side of a shock to the system like that is that it actually causes a true and lasting change in behavior. And I think that's something that we saw in the equipment and event rental industry is that it helped us see the value and practice digitization in a way that we were really kind of slow to adopt before that. You know, before 2020, I think there was some ARA research that showed that 30% of our membership still wasn't using what I would call a modern rental software. Um, you know, things that are, are, are a true, you know, more like an ERP or enterprise resource planning. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they might have used QuickBooks or Excel spreadsheets or, um, you know, some of them still on paper or whiteboards. And I'm sorry if that offends you if you're listening to this, but if you're on that, it's time to buy some software. Um, you know, but but it cause the consumer who is also not typically a digital native. When you look at a lot of construction companies, I think it was McKinsey and Sons that uh, ranked construction like 48 out of 49 industries in technology adoption. The only one worse than that was farming. And I think they gave farming a bad rap, uh, realistically. I mean, you can order a burger on Uber Eats and track it on its way to you. But if you order a $100,000 excavator, you have no idea where it is. And so I think what happened is you had a lot of contractors who were sitting at home, you know, in 2020 and were like, oh man, I forgot that cutoff saw. You know, they're used to calling a sales rep, stopping by a store. It's an in-person business. And I don't think we're going to lose all that. And we can dive into that too. Um, but they realize that at 10 o'clock at night, it's kind of nice to be able to go on your phone and order that cutoff saw and know whether it's going to be there in the morning so you can pick it up on the way to your job site. And so they tried some of those things that I'm not sure that they necessarily would have, or certainly wouldn't have at the kind of scale that they did, because they were doing everything digital at the time. They were doing everything online and realized that's really kind of nice. You know, not that I don't want to know my rental company. Rental's still a relationship business. The relationship matters. But I want to have that relationship, but I want to be able to do a lot of self-serve. And we actually have done some research between 2018 and um, uh, 2023, and we've seen that with contractors. Um, you know, we didn't see the Amazon effect where people were going more and more and more digital and then sprung back to less digital. Um, what we saw was more and more and more digital, and then it, digital wasn't growing as fast, but we were still seeing contractors say that over 50% of them 
wanted to do their transaction online, wanted to pay their bill online, wanted to check their bills, wanted to call something off rent, wanted to certainly do their research and um, check specifications on things. I think that was something like 70% wanted to do that. And we saw all of those categories grow from pre-COVID to post-COVID. And again, growth slowed down, but it didn't stop like it did in some other industries. Contractors realized that's a great way to do business. And I think the rental companies did too. You know, the rental companies realized if we're not getting a phone call every time somebody wants to know the lifting capacity of the skid steer that they have out on rent, that's really efficient for everybody. They can just pull it up on the phone and find it out. Um, and so we saw a lot more things like that. And I think that's a trend or a change in behavior that's really good for the industry and is going to last. Because one of the other things that the, at least the equipment rental industry struggled with is they could make great technology, but if the contractors didn't want it, didn't value it, weren't going to use it, it didn't really matter. And so this kind of pushed the contractors to start to desire those things. And so I'm starting to see the equipment rental companies who have a good web presence, who have a more modern software, who are using some of these tools, um, really support contractors better and contractors starting to prefer that. Yeah, that uh, yeah, that McKinsey. I have have a gripe with that McKinsey stat, and we're like we we've chatted about it like internally, and and definitely construction is slower to adopt. But I think there's a a lens of like was tech even useful up until recently? So sure, a lot of like you know businesses and offices, and like yeah, spreadsheets, accounting software, et cetera, for people that are behind a desk all day is like awesome. That technology exists, but then when it gets to like, you know, building modeling and drone surveying and technology that can like actually achieve some of the things that people need to be useful. It's probably been in the last like five to 10 years where it's really started to scale up. So for an industry not to be fully adopted in five to 10 years really isn't that big of a slight. But if you look at comparing, you know, construction to, you know, accounting over the last a hundred years, of course, they're going to be, um, behind and with um i guess that transition you mentioned kind of the amazon effect people were kind of not spoiled during covid but that notion of oh i can do everything from my phone now that did bleed into other industries where people were almost thrown by the fact that oh i have to physically call someone or i have to go into person and a bit of that you know forcing the industry to yeah adopt to that change of like, okay, these people have been able to do everything else on their phone. We need to do that as well. Um, yeah, it's, I mean, obviously no one saw a global pandemic coming and flipping the industry on its head, but I definitely think it accelerated a lot of things, um, you know, good and bad in the industry of like forcing a lot of, um, new innovation. I've seen some of the whiteboards that folks have, I fully believe some of those guys are running their whiteboards way better than people are running sophisticated software. But at the end of the day, when that person retires and that knowledge goes with them, yeah, you're basically going to lose <laughs> all that uh, capability as well. With regards to um, tech specifically, and we're, we're up in Canada, so we have a very clear kind of off season. There's really no off season, to be honest, anymore. Um, but when you know snow is on the ground, you're you're going to see a decline, especially in a lot of like earth moving, bigger pieces of equipment um, with the ARA show. And I want to dive into that more specifically um, a little later, being kind of in February in the quote unquote off season as well. 
is there, I guess, something that you would kind of say or push to the people who are like, listen, I just got through this year. Talk to me in April. Or is there kind of a sweet spot for these people that are wanting to invest in technology or maybe it's not tech, just new systems of do it in the off season and the sooner the better, or you're like, yeah, spring's fine. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I would say that spring's probably not fine. Yeah. <laughs> Spring, spring's when you're super busy, you're probably running over time for a lot of people. Um, you're just trying to, to keep up. Uh, everything's as utilized as it's going to be throughout the year, other than maybe uh, sometime in fall. And so this is the prime time to invest. Um, and that could be a lot of different types of investment. It could be getting your um, you know, new service technicians ARA certified or getting new certifications, getting new software. Uh, this is the time of year you want to invest in efficiency. You know, when you think about investment, what does that mean? You know, traditionally, it means you buy a stock or a bond or something like that. You hold it for a while. It costs you something, but it's worth something more in the future. Um, and so I think that that rental companies need to be thinking about investing right now because strategy is going to matter. Um, the last few years were, were relatively easy for a lot of rental companies. Many of them were at record high utilizations. Um, but strategy is going to start to matter again. You know, some markets are out going to perform others. Some contractors are going to out types are going to outperform others. And so you need to be thinking about those types of things. Um, the other thing I think is, and you mentioned this a little bit about contractors, is it's harder for us to see the value of digitization, of process improvement, of education. You know, I'm amazed at how many of our members, for example, aren't aware of Rental U and that it's a free education platform for all of our membership to use during the winter time to help train and upskill their people, invest in them so they're more efficient and effective during the slow time. But you know, a lot of us grew up in the industry or spent a long time in the industry. And to your point, we're really good through experience, but we need to be able to scale people faster and, and advance that and make it more replicable. And, you know, the problem that we run into sometimes is we know, well, you know, if I have a, you know, $70,000, I can go buy another mini excavator and I know my return on investment is going to be 50 to 70% on that. Well, if I go buy a piece of rental software or I get my team a certification or I invest in this process improvement, the return on investment might be hundreds of percent, but I'm not used to that. That's squishy data. That's not the world that I live in most of the time. And so it's really easy for me to say, well, I've got $100,000. I'm going to go buy some more equipment with that $100,000. I know exactly what I'm going to get out of it. And I think that we need to be careful that we're also investing in the business, in the people, in the tools that we use, because those are the things that pay off long term. And in many cases, if you haven't done a lot of investment in that, the return on investment for it can be incredible um, and, and hard to quantify. Uh, but incredible. So take some of those leaps, see what happens, balance your portfolio of what you're investing in. Yes, invest in equipment, but invest in people, invest in education, invest in technology and tools and software and process improvement, Six Sigma, 5S. Invest in all of those things a little bit, just like you'd have a portfolio of stocks and not buy all just one stock. You shouldn't invest all of your money and your time during your slow period into one thing, invest it into a lot of different things so that you're balanced when you come into that busy season. Definitely. And yeah, I think a lot can be said, you know, equipment's fun. Everyone, everyone likes to buy kind of a shiny, shiny new toy. Um, but with equipment, I think that time to value or time to implementation is 
is so quick. Like you buy an excavator, you can have it up for rent the next week. Um, mm. Whereas I think some with the industry adopting new technology and training and, you know, frankly, a, a labor crisis that tackles um, most most trades, um, there is a lot of training kind of required. And then with new technology, it's also like the last thing you want to do is say, hey, we're, you know, mid-March, we know things are going to ramp up in like the next one to two weeks, depending on the weather. Oh, also, we implemented a new technology that you all need to know, and we're using it for the next year. Um, there's a lot to be said for using that quote-unquote slower period to get that return on investment that it's if the team's trained if the technology is implemented if everyone's kind of on the same page yeah maybe it is a 200 percent um roi in that first year versus 100 percent roi because you spent most of that year kind of just you know keeping ahead of yourself with uh with the tool so obviously selfishly you know as a as a software company um we we encourage people to kind of implement um early but some of those folks you know you talk to them in the spring they're like hey talk to me in the fall things are crazy busy you talk to them in the fall and they say we're just wrapping up the season talk to me in the spring i'll have a bit more time to explore new tools um i think the area I show in february is a nice sweet spot of like mm -hmm. arguably a little late but still early enough um that if people are kind of shopping for new solutions uh that it's there yeah, it's it's funny, and I, I know we were talking before we started recording today, and, and we were kind of lamenting how hard it is to get a hold of members and potential customers this time of year in between the holidays. But if you think about it, if you're the average operator, what happens between Christmas and New Year's? Nothing. I mean, maybe there's some plant shutdowns that you have some equipment out on, but you're probably running relative skeleton crews. You're probably doing things like inventory. What a great time to make a transition. You're going into a new year, maybe a new fiscal year. You're slow as heck anyway um, in that period of time. You know, you're, you're already doing things like inventory. You're already doing things like next year planning. That's a great time to run two pieces of software at the same time, to train on a new process, to bring everybody in when they might want some extra hours during the holidays, but they're certainly not getting overtime. You're having a hard time probably giving them full-time hours. Bring them all in, give them those full-time hours that they want and need, but use that as an opportunity to upskill in, in some way or invest in something in some way. You're like This is the time of year that you should be doing that strategic planning, that strategic thinking, so that you go into next year with some new things. And then you spend the first couple months of next year reinforcing those new things, practicing them, getting the kinks out of those things, so that when you hit March, April, and May, you're already off to the races and you're running. You know, so it's funny that it's hard to get a hold of people this time of year when like this is the time of year to invest in those things, to have those conversations. It's when you have time to do that. It's when it's effective and efficient to do that. And so, you know, I, I would encourage those people who aren't thinking that way to try some of that and, and see what it, how it works. Yeah. And the I think good and bad, the pain points are fresh. Um, and frankly, like if someone's at this point of the year and you're like, you know what? Everything went, ran smoothly. Things are going great. Awesome. That's fantastic. I'm super happy for those folks. Chances mm -hmm. are they're not looking to explore new technology anyways. Um, but the reality is like everyone in some area or another, there's there's challenges, whether that's, you know, maintenance or equipment theft or, you know what, we invested in new equipment. We didn't see the utilization that we were expecting. Having those pain points fresh is 
super helpful because especially, you know, flipping the the technology sales thing on its head is like you want to understand what pain points you want to solve to see if the software can even do that versus kind of you get into the spring and maybe some rose colored glasses about last year you're excited and you're starting to ramp up and you're busy. You're like, okay, great. This will bring in a new tool or our existing tool is still fine. It wasn't that big of a a challenge last year, but in reality, um, if some of those things are fresh in your mind and you're, you're targeted with, Hey, if we improve this area by, 50% that could completely change our business or if we you know invested in kind of more of a web presence or something else like those are things that came up time and time again in the last season yeah when they're fresh in your mind versus you know you go through the holidays you get a bit of time off maybe it's a bit slower and then by the time next thing you know it's April and you're busy again and it's just that vicious cycle 100% awesome great um yeah I mean we've touched on it a couple times um the ara show obviously coming up in february maybe you can give us kind of a i guess a bit of an elevator pitch from on the kind of equipment rental side kind of who's it for what's kind of the the intent why should yeah rental companies be attending now I mean, it's the it's one of the 100 largest conventions in the world it is the largest uh equipment and event rental convention in the world it's closed so that means that only manufacturers and uh, vendors who are providing services or products or tools to the industry can exhibit and only rental companies can visit and are walking the show floor. So it's not like you have a bunch of sales reps walking around or people who are just there uh, to pick up the goodies. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it is the time to work on your business. There's, uh, you know, education at the show. If you're on the event side, we have events you on Saturday. Then we have a full day of education on Sunday. Then three days of the show floor with lots of great events and other training that you can do. It's just, it's the perfect time to do that. You know, it's, and it's the right time in your season. It's the only place where you can compare apples to oranges to apricots to, to really understand what the differences are between the different pieces of equipment. It's going to be an awesome show. Um, uh, many of the sections of the show have been sold out. At least the show floor space has been sold out for months. Um, so it's going to be incredibly well attended from that space. Uh, attendance is off to the races as well. Um, so it's the place you're going to want to be. And then I also wouldn't discount the networking. It's amazing how much you learn, especially in the equipment rental industry, where people can compete Monday through Friday and then go out to dinner and drinks with with their competitors on the weekends. Um, how much you can learn from your peers. There is so much inefficiency, you know, as we've kind of talked about already in rental um that it's just great to talk to those folks and say hey what's working for you what equipment's working what tools what software what operations there there have been many times where just a, a side conversation for me at the ARA show saved me tens of thousands of dollars a year you know every year after that 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 pays for well more than the ticket and well more than the trip um so uh, I, I think it's definitely something that i would be investing in spending time and i'd go the whole time i always have i think it's uh, almost um Let's see, this might be 20 shows in a, a row for me uh, this okay. upcoming year. You know, it's 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 a can't miss event. Um, so I would definitely want to see you there. Definitely, yeah. No, and we're uh, we're kind of in the the midst of planning, getting that kind of um, sorted out on on our end. And yeah, I think you know, as a as a vendor and sort of member of the the ARA, like like we talked about, it's kind of tough to get a a hold of people, and especially rental industry, like very rarely is are is someone wearing only one hat 
um, a lot of the time, especially in kind of that small to mid-sized rental companies, it's like, yeah, I'm the owner slash rental manager, part-time maintenance. Sometimes I do this. The chances of them being by the phone or behind a computer, you know, is is rare. And if so, that they're they're busy. So an opportunity, you know, when people are are there and they're in the mindset to have that conversation around, you know, improving their business or exploring new um, technologies or, or tools. Um, yeah, it definitely kind of aligns um, with us. And, you know, New Orleans in February isn't, uh, isn't the worst, 100%. worst location to be. Um, awesome. So, we, yeah, I guess we've touched on a couple uh, things kind of across the board. Is there anything else uh, or, you know, as having experience on the the rental, like the rental side from a business um, and kind of understanding from a you know, 50,000 foot view on the ARA. Is there anything going into next year that kind of you're seeing with regards to, to trends, both to kind of keep an, out, an eye out for or that companies should be looking to address on their end? Yeah, I think that there's a few interesting trends going on. You know, equipment shortages have been a real issue for the last uh, few years now. I think you're going to see that start to abate. It's already abated a lot in many categories. You're starting to see equipment that was quoted as coming many months from now that is showing up early. Um, I think that means that there's going to be the return to discounting, maybe interest rate discounts, even though interest rates are higher. Um, you know, you're going to see a, a lot more incentives uh, to buy and to make those decisions, which I think a lot of people are looking forward to. And then the ability to get that equipment a lot faster. Um, you know, I think that emotionally, I'm hearing a lot of people are getting a little bit more nervous, a little bit more uncomfortable. We're predicting still strong growth over the next few years, definitely GDP uh, beating growth, definitely construction industry beating growth, but it's definitely slower than it has been the last couple of years. And, you know, many people have had record breaking years the last couple of years, and it is going to slow down from that in a lot of markets. Your market's going to matter. Your customer's going to matter. We've still got the tailwinds, not headwinds, but the things that support the industry, like the fact that the people who are in decision-making uh, roles in construction companies now grew up with Airbnb and Uber. They get the idea of sharing. They get the idea of rental. They're comfortable with that. They don't have to own everything. Um, sustainability in many areas is becoming more important. Rental versus ownership is 30 to 60% more sustainable or less carbon emissions over the life cycle of the piece of equipment. Um, complexity of equipment. It's not getting simpler. You know, you used to be able to grow up working on a farm and you could change a spark plug on anything. And now you need a computer to do that. So there's a lot of tailwinds that are supporting the industry, but it is pulling back some. It is going back to what I would call more normal. You know, it, there was there was some extra demand. We were at record levels of utilization. So whereas a lot the kind of the operating process for a lot of uh, rental companies over the last couple of years was just go buy something. You're going to rent it. You know, get your hands on as much equipment as you can. Now you need to be starting to look at your reports, making data-driven decisions, um, planning out which contractors you want to focus on, thinking about your unique selling proposition, you know, thinking about how your pricing model works and uh, what customers you want to grow in and what customers aren't as profitable for you, uh, thinking about your balance sheet. Um, so all those are, are things that, we need to start thinking about again. And, and I would try and take some of the emotion out of it because it's probably not going to be bad, but it is definitely not going to feel like it did the last couple of years. So look at the data, keep your eye on the data um, and make those decisions that way. With, and, and yeah, like we've, we've touched on the last couple of years kind of being 
abnormal, but also, you know, a trend, um, I think, in like shifting. What would you say, I guess, on, on two ends of the spectrum to those people who's, you know, maybe their first five years in the industry has been kind of through this period. And then also the companies who are, you know, arguably in their last five years in the industry and whether, you know, they have a succession plan or they're handing it off, but they're like, listen, I'm five years to retirement. I'm good with how things are. How would you address? Yeah. I guess those two segments that have only known this crazy period. And then also those people who have maybe seen the ups and downs, but they are like seeing the, the finish line. Um, so I would say for the younger companies who only know this, they need to get serious about their business. Uh, strategy matters. Uh, you can't just show up with equipment and make money. You have been, been able to in some markets for the last couple of years, but that's not going to continue to work. If you're not careful and you're one of those companies and you don't start to think about process and efficiency and effectiveness and run it like a true business, not like you're lucky, then I think that you might get pushed out of the business. I think we are going to see some of those companies that were newer to the industry over the last couple of years who kind of locked into it or jumped into it at the exact right time start to realize it's really complicated. It's really difficult and start to get pushed out of markets. I know, for example, in one of my markets, um, back when I had the equipment rental company in 2007, I want to say that we had 12 competitors that were in a single market, a market that, that had used to maybe five years before that only had two. And then after we went through the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, by the time we got to 2010, 2011, of those 12, I think there were maybe four left. Um, and so I think that we are going to see some of that, um, you know, for those companies that have been in the industry for a long period of time, they're used to these cycles. You know, I think it's important to not get caught up in the emotionality of the cycle and not feel like this is necessarily a down cycle because it kind of feels like that because we're going from this really high space to a more normal space. Mm -hmm. But it's just a normal cycle. You know, the uncertainty is good for rental. High interest rates are good for rental. When a customer is having to make that rent versus buy decision and interest rates are high and uncertainty is high, they're going to lean into rental. So that's good yep. for us. Um, and, and traditionally, we know that once they try rental and don't make that buy decision, they end up kind of getting addicted to it. So this won't be as strong a cycle, but it will be a good cycle for your business. Um, and, you know, there's still a lot of consolidation going on out there. So if you're in that later stage of your business, you need to be thinking about what your succession plan is. Are you passing it down to the next generation? Are you um, selling it to a larger competitor, somebody in the market, an investor, private equity? There's a lot of options, but you want to start considering those early because it takes a long time to get to those. Um, and you don't want to rush that process at all. And I'd also say it's kind of like selling real estate. If you're not a real estate broker, I wouldn't try and do it yourself. Uh, we've got a lot of great associate members who do that really well and can help you with that transition. I used one myself. Um, you know, and I think that's important to help you make the right decisions, to make data-driven decisions, to have that intermediary in there. You know, it's an emotional thing to sell your business, whether you're selling it to your family or you're selling it to another company. There's a lot you probably don't think about and aren't used to. And so having a partner through that, I think, is is really important. Awesome. Perfect. I mean, I think that's a that's a great way to kind of end on, you know early stage, late stage, everyone in the middle, I think, can take um, some valuable lessons from both those points. But Josh, greatly appreciate the time, a wealth of information um, and kind of takeaways. But yeah, thank you very much for the time. And I look forward to seeing you in February. Happy to do it. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Roger That Podcast presented by Frenter. Frenter is a all-in-one asset management solution for heavy equipment. Frenter helps you secure and optimize your fleet without robbing you of your precious time. For more information, visit us at frenter.com. That's F-R-E-N-T-E-R.com. Thank you.